Hi, everybody. David Knorr, uh, back with you with my business partner, Jen Cords, for another episode of RevUp. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to see you. For our audience, we're live on the various social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And uh, this is a continuation of both sharing what we're seeing in the market, uh, specifically around the challenges of chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers, how do we, uh, in the post-pandemic world, really drive growth through our capabilities, through our processes, through our tech stack? And within the revenue operations group that Jen leads, we want to share both our insights, our research, our conversations, but also get granular and practical and pragmatic in not just intellectually understanding some of these topics, but really how to tackle them, how to self-assess yourself, your team, your organization against what we're seeing, which is truly world-class. Organizations that get some of the insights we're going to share with you, you can see it. You can feel it. They're just clicking on all cylinders. We want to share that with you. We want to hopefully have you join us. If you can join us live, that'd be great. If not, jump in afterwards with your comments, questions. We make sure we address those as well. As well. So this episode, Jen, we're going to talk about user journeys. Uh, can you start by telling the audience, I think, a little bit about kind of what you and your team do and a little kind of overarching uh, of the accelerated time to close process? And I'll bring it up as you as you share it. Sure. So what my team and I do, we go through a five-step process that really sets the foundation for your revenue operations process, people, and tech stack. And so the first two phases are the baseline audit, which we look at what we have to work with, how they are, how are they all integrated, what the databases are doing, and uh, just the health and overall architecture of how everything's connected. And then we move into phase two, which is then talking about um, the buyer personas and uh, ideal customer profiles to make sure that we're targeting the right people to bring in and intercept that demand. And so that's a conversation between sales and marketing to make sure that we're targeting people that sales needs to talk to and vice versa. And then the third phase is really about the user journey to make sure that we've identified the most ideal path that uh, we can bring people through. And uh, it, drives better engagement and and brings them along in a logical format because you don't want to jump from rung one of the ladder to the very top without creating some uh, consistency along that journey. And so then the fourth phase is actually just uh, uh, optimizing all of those uh, pieces together to make sure that we're looking at the data to make sure that everything is still working the um, feedback loop is there and we're making small tweaks along the way. And so it's really the optimization of everything. Uh, stage five is then scaling and growing the tech stack. If that's adding people, adding technologies, capabilities, et cetera, we just, we sort of expand everything that we could be doing um, from a tech technology perspective. So I found I saw that uh, the user journey is dead center of this process. Is that intentional? And talk a little about 
um, kind of what what are what are you and your team walking into uh, when you have these user journey conversations with with clients? Yeah, so it is intentional that it is in the middle because the customer journey and the customer experience is absolutely critical to their overall buying experience and buyer journey. And so if we're not giving them enough information early on and then just giving them to sales, sales is going to have a really hard time or a really long sales cycle. If we're giving them too inf- too much information before we hand them to sales, then sales is literally just processing paperwork. So finding that happy medium is really important. And it is in the middle for that exact reason, because we need the foundation and then the buyer profiles that we're working on. And then the next logical step is, is making sure that the journey that they're taking, those, those various buyer profiles, the journey that they're taking is logical and it gives them what they're looking for from uh, an information perspective. So, and then related to that is sort of the customer lifecycle maturity model, which Nor, you've been doing a lot of research and sharing insights with our clients about our maturity model. So what kind of responses are you getting related to that. For our audience, uh, this is uh, what Jen is referring to. And I'm fascinated by, uh, Jen, the consistency in which I've yet to find anybody that argues with this, right? So we're, we're tweaking it along the way. And just again, for the audience, we're increasingly seeing a digital on-ramp where, you, you know, you create awareness, right? You create, you kind of get the what you believe to be the target audience on this journey. You got to create awareness where you're differentiating, you're really validating their needs and really focusing. That's the key on a target audience you believe or a target buyer you believe would be a right fit. Creating engagement. Sometimes this is where PLG product-led growth comes in, where the product on-road, you know, the ramp allows them to kind of know about the product, they kind of join. You still got to really cater to this evaluation and you you kind of help them buy. So the purchase is really that buying phase. And ever since the first edition of my relationship economics book, I've talked to clients about the relationship really starts when they buy. Because unless you accelerate increasingly, unless you really amplify this adoption phase, after which they might add other users, you won't be able to create impact. And if you can't demonstrate a quantifiable ROI through this impact, you're never going to not only upsell and cross-sell other value-based services or products you can bring, but you're never going to make advocates, if not evangelists, out of them. And what you don't want is you don't want the customer to go around this loop once. There's a reason it's, there's a reason it's the infinity loop. You want to kind of continue to kind of deepen and nurture that relationship and really double down on the lifetime value of that customer not just a transactional one-time sale. So Jen, a lot of great uh, acceptance of this. And you and I have done this with clients where you ask them, okay, where enough the seven phases, where do you believe you're really strong? Where do you believe you struggle? And it's amazing that both the strengths and the struggles you can imagine, you've seen it, is all over the map, right? We're really good at awareness and engagement. We completely dropped the ball on adoption or impact, or the other way. We know our product works, so the impact is great. We're really struggling with awareness engagement, which then leads me to ask you, um, break down the 
user journey steps for our audience? What do you and your team, when you walk in, when you uh, work with a client, what do you start? How do you identify their emotions, their pain points, their decision criteria, if you will? How do you start to track that and, and really the, the customer's progress around, around that path? Yeah, so the user journeys, like most things, start with a conversation and understanding what exists within the marketing uh, content. And so it is talking to their demand gen function, to their uh, PPC or social media type function to see what sort of ads they're putting out. And where are they driving people to? What is currently resonating? So it really starts with kind of an audit of the content that exists and then understanding how those pieces of content fit into the ICPs. Have they been tagged appropriately? Do we have enough content in the sort of awareness phase? And if we don't, what's missing and how long would it take to create? And then you go into the engagement phase and then you go into kind of the, the commitment phase, which are three different phases of just a user journey in general that, that's kind of industry standard. And so in the awareness phase, you need the, the high level marketing, the case studies, the things that people can see themselves and identify themselves in to draw them further down to under to want to learn more about your actual product and service. Um, and so it's really just mapping all of those pieces together and then finding your gaps and uh, filling, filling those gaps and making sure that they're, they're operationalized in the way where somebody can seamlessly move from one piece of content to another. So I have a follow-up question on that. Sure. Love that you brought up uh the things you're doing it sounds like you know aligning the content with where they are how do you know where they are how do you begin to understand the paths they're, they're i've always believed jen um unless you understand the way they buy unless you understand what they go through how do you, you know you're shooting in the dark right you're, you're throwing stuff on the wall and you're not sure what any of it is going to stick where do you start how do you start with understanding Again, their emotions, their needs, what their pain points, what steps they go through before you start to, you know, line up content to match it. Well, related to the buyer journey and ideal customer profile work that's done in phase two, it is identifying what sort of things that a CISO may be looking for or an engineer may be looking for. So you're trying to identify and put yourself in the shoes of the person that would be looking for your service mm. and then lining up the content that matches that. So you're not going to know if you're an early stage company, it is going to be trial and error, but you need to fail fast. And so it's trying a lot of things quickly, looking at the data, seeing if it's resonating, make adjustments and then move forward. Um, if you're a more mature company that's been doing content marketing or demand gen for a while, you can actually look back at your data and see what did resonate. Was it white papers? Was it case studies? Was it webinars? Um, and then try and create the journey in the most logical format there as well. Um, but it really depends on what data a company has. Early stage, you're not gonna have a lot of closed deals to understand how did this person even get in front of us? How did we get this contract closed? It could have been a friends and family. Um, 
but when you when you do try things and iterate, leveraging your data is really the best way to do all of these things. Uh, knowing how healthy your database is, knowing if your salespeople KPIs can actually work, knowing how many meetings it takes to get an opportunity, like all of that is driven by your data. And so you, at the very core of everything that you do, it really comes down to identifying the key things that need to be tracked and then creating a very seamless, clear, measurable way to get that information, both in front of your executive team, but then also in front of everybody else, because there needs to be that one source of truth and that one uh, accountability, more or less. So sales knows um, sales knows what they're doing and marketing knows how they're contributing and how they can help each other. So related to that, I mean, Nor, with user journeys and understanding them, like what have you found are the biggest challenges with companies that you've worked for? Yeah, so you, you alluded to it. Uh, I, would, I would say three. One, not enough data or not enough actionable data, right? So they just, as you said, they don't know what they don't know. And they just, just they haven't been captured. And by the way, that those notes in that sales reps notebook or that spreadsheet or the stuff that isn't in that single source of truth, which ideally is their CRM, is not helping. So not enough data. Number two, Jen, we're measuring the wrong things or we're not measuring the right activities or really thinking about intelligently or we haven't asked uh you've seen me work with a lot of sales leaders on their you know medic inspection of their deals we don't know the decision criteria we don't know the decision journey we're definitely not talking to the right people and and it's just we're throw again we're throwing stuff up on the wall to see what sticks the last one is I, I think i learned this one from my dad and he said, you don't have the time to make all the mistakes yourself. Learn from other people's mistakes. I don't see, I don't feel there's enough collaboration between sales and marketing organizations to learn from what we've done, what's worked and what hasn't. So as you know, we're working with a client. I'm going back up to work with them. We did a, a sales QBR meeting with the leadership. Now we're doing a sales boot camp. And the goal is just that, get the sellers in the room in small groups to really work on that intelligence. But those are typically the biggest kind of challenges and opportunities I see. So let me flip over to you. Talk about three best practices in understanding user journeys and really creating alignment in them. Yeah, so we kind of mentioned them earlier. The best practices is uh, identifying the points, the, the key behaviors that you want someone to take, and then making sure that there's a measurable way to capture that data. Putting a form in front of everything, while it may seem like a best practice, really isn't. You want to remove as many obstacles as possible within a person's journey while still getting the data that you need. So that's number one identifying the data that you have to, that you must have to understand how this person moved through your data and through the buying journey. Uh, number two would be to really have a conversation with sales and understand what sort of assets would help them best to 
close a deal, to follow up with somebody who just took a demo, um, make sure that they have the resources that they need to be able to effectively sell and have those conversations with prospects and even customer success and customers. So that would be number two. Number three, it really would be to try and keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it and make sure that you have clear communication swim lanes and prioritize what those journeys are. So if somebody can come in, take a demo, download a white paper, fill out a contact form, those three actions could put them on three different paths. You need to prioritize which one's the most important. In this case, it would probably be the demo. And so you want to make sure that they're put on that path and then when that path ends, have somewhere for them to go. Don't just stop talking to them. So it's really important to prioritize the communications because you don't ever want to overload someone with information or blast them with an email every single day because then they're going to perceive that as spam. So that's what I would say is probably the, the best practices for user journeys. And like the alignment, like I said, having conversations with sales marketing and sales really need to be in lockstep. And that comes both in phase two, which is our ICPs and personas, as well as in the user journeys. So Nord, flipping it to you, uh, why do you believe user journeys are so critical to both the sales and marketing process and how can we may help executives understand them better? Jen, I'm always uh, surprised when uh, you and I go into organizations and we hear, you know, you hear us and them or those guys or you know, <laughs> uh, unless we talk about it as a we challenge or a we opportunity. And you said it really connecting sales and marketing organizations together for marketing to understand what asset sales needs. I need talking and, and I tell most of my clients if you think about it a second, sales professionals sells that sell that which they understand, that which they can articulate. I, I, I don't want to look silly, right? I, and what can I make money on? There's a reason I'm in sales. It's let's make no qualms about it. It's the economic model. So if you make me spend a lot of cycles trying to figure out how to position us or how to package us, like I may either create a whole bunch of Yahoo directions, which you're not going to want, or you know, you're going to lose me at hello. Either one isn't going to really help. So love your comment about keep it simple. Love the idea of marketing, getting on sales calls with the sales reps as a colleague or just debrief with them afterwards. Love sales professionals going to marketing and saying, listen, I don't want to bowl the ocean. I want to bowl a cup of water. I need some talking points on how to position this. I need to better understand how to intelligently answer these 20 questions or ask these 20 questions, and I need to figure out a PDF to send them after my first, third, and fifth call with them. That's as simple as it gets, and unfortunately, you and I walk into a lot of places where it's just unnecessarily overcomplicated. And as you've said it, it doesn't have to be that way. And it starts with conversations. It starts with really simplifying who we're trying to engage, why are they buying, how do we help them through that buying journey, through that user journey that best benefits them? So you talked about best practices. I'm going to ask you to flip the coin. 
What are the biggest pitfalls? What are the biggest challenges you see when you and your team go in and look at processes, capabilities, and tech stack? What you mentioned it actually just a second ago, try to boil the ocean. A lot of times when we go, when my team comes into a marketing organization to help, it is they're trying to do too many things and there is no prioritization and there is no library of assets tagged by solution or product or point in the opportunity journey that somebody may be on. So it's the, one of the biggest ones is just too much. They're trying to do too many things all at the same time and no one knows what anybody is actually doing. So that's number one. Number two would be, trying to overcomplicate it from the start instead of starting small. A lot of teams will also plan these massive launches and have all these assets and this happens and that happens and they take months and months and months to plan it and then they launch it and there's no tracking or they didn't think about this other channel that may change the entire user journey. And so they just overcomplicate it and spend so much time planning without executing that they completely miss their mark. And then the third one really would be trying to track too much. One of the best practices is to identify the key behaviors that you're wanting to track. But also if you track too many things, then you're really not tracking anything. And so trying to track all of the things is also a really bad idea because then you don't have any actionable insights. And I often talk about, you know, you're so busy, you know, sharpening the machetes and cutting down the trees, not, not asking, are we in the right jungle? Right. We're capturing so much information that the insights, the nuggets get lost in all of that. And, and now you've got no levers or no real actionable levers to fix in that journey. And you and I have also seen talk about months and months around a campaign I love, love the thoroughness of some of the things you and I've seen, but not the lack of sense of urgency of your planning for the next six to 12 months will be a moot point if it doesn't contribute to Q2, you know, pipeline and results. And let's get out there. And again, I, the thing I've told you, I've got a mentor who says when you're 40, you know, 60%, 80% ready, move. Yeah. We'll figure out the other, you know, 30, 40%. Well, one of the companies that I've done work for in the past, they had uh, something called an MVP, a minimal viable product. And it was a small iteration. It was literally the, the baseline of functionality for a product or feature, and they would release it. But then they would have a plan to make changes and iterate and, and make it better in time. And so, but they moved, they made changes and it, it also just allowed them to be a little bit more flexible versus the rigidity of, okay, we've just planned this thing for six months and now we're going to launch it exactly how we planned it. Um, and so it kind of does the hockey stick. If you do small iterations, it's kind of like, yeah, this one, uh, the top one is making small iterations along the way. Whereas the gray one is you've planned it, you've launched it and you can't make any changes. And so you actually get farther by doing little things every single day. So, talking, about, talking about that that good looking book behind you, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great visual. <laughs> a great visual. I'm doing a curve benders live right after this episode, so 
I hope you'll come join us for that as well. Uh, as a reminder, if you just joined us, you're listening to Jen Cords, who's uh, the North Group partner leading a revenue operations practice. And uh, Jen and her team go in and look at, they do a baseline audit. They go and look at a client's capabilities. They look at their processes. They look at their tech stack. And we come back with short, medium, long-term recommendations. Several clients have already asked us and they've actually outsourced the entire RevOps to Jen and her team. So we're talking about today about user journeys. How do you better understand their motivation, the pain points, the emotional connection to solving that problem at the user level and effectively align the way you sell, the way you sell ideas, the way you sell uh, perspectives, the way you sell products and services to the way they buy to move along this customer lifecycle maturity model that we were researching and we are uh, talking about extensively. Well, and Noor, I know you do a lot of work with executive teams, but you also help executives prepare for board meetings and you also work with many boards. So are boards now asking about user journeys and wanting to understand that aspect of the business as yeah, well? Yeah, that's a great question. What I'm, what I'm seeing is boards increasingly, as part of their stewardship, and again, I got to tell you, uh, I, I was active in the National Association of Corporate Directors. NACD is the governing body for boards. And one of the first things that they teach you in directors professionalism training and development is uh, nose in, fingers off. Your job is not there to do. That's the management. That's the leadership jobs. Your job is there to ask questions. And Jen, what I'm seeing increasingly in these board retreats is they're questioning the investments the leadership team make. And when they don't, when they don't get the impression that sales and marketing is aligned. So, and especially the last couple of years, right? There haven't been trade shows. There haven't been demo days. There haven't been executive visits. So yeah, how have they made that shift to digital? It's all gone to digital. So now what you're seeing is, you know, we spent a million dollars last month on this campaign. Any board member worth their weight is going to say, what did we get for that? Where's the ROI for that investment? How did that help our pipeline? How did that help our brand awareness? How did that help create? And again, I'm not doing, I'm asking. And I'm looking for not only an ROI on that investment, but I'm looking for alignment. I'm looking for, think about it. If we're too early, you're educating. And I've got parents who are teachers. Teachers don't get paid much. If we're too late... You know, there's no price for second place. If they've bought that technology or that platform, they're not going to rip it out to put our stuff in. So it's all about, you don't want to be ahead of the bus. You don't want to be under the bus. You don't want to be behind the bus. You want to be on the bus. So they're looking for alignment between the way we market, the way we sell, how well, how intelligently do we understand our target audience to sell the way they buy, to really understand, as you said it, intercept that demand, intercept that interest, intercept that somebody raising their hands and saying, I want, and you're going to chuckle at this. I've never met anyone who wants to see a demo because they're completely bored. They have nothing else to do in their lives. And they're saying, I want to see a demo. Well, I mean, new technologies that enter the RevOps space. I may take a demo just because I'm curious. Got it. But you're doing it for a purpose, understanding and, and really finding applications of it. But busy clients, busy executives, busy influencers, 
when they say, I want to see a demo and you don't get back to them for three weeks, the way you sell isn't aligned to the way they buy. Absolutely. And that's where boards really question. And you start to dilute your credibility as a leader if you can't articulate that, if you can't justify those intercepts, those touchstone moments where we're meeting them where they are with position papers, with analyst reports, with case studies, with how do we make sure we're seen as credible, we're seen as viable uh, in solving that problem. So, which leads me, again, uh, you've talked about best practices, you've talked about pitfalls, this baseline assessment, you and your team are doing several of them as we speak. What do you look for in that user journey? What do you, so you've, you've you know, maybe we, you and your team haven't done you know, that phase two, uh, you know, the buyer needs, buyer behaviors. What do you look for in terms of their user journey, kind of maturity or sophistication or understanding of what needs to happen there? So one of the first things that we're looking for is really just a plan. Do they have a plan? Um, If they don't have a plan or a document showing all the assets that they do have and who has access to them and how they're tracking them. If there's no plan, that's that's one of the first things that we'll look for and help create. Um, so it is asking a lot of questions. And then the next thing we look for is really have they categorized what those papers and, and assets do? Like, are they for awareness? Are they for engagement? Are they for right before the opportunity closes? Are they education? Like if, if they don't know what they do and where they fit within the puzzle, that's the next thing that we work on is to make sure that we, we categorize or bucket the assets that do exist. And then does sales actually know how to access them? Because a lot of times assets are not being used because sales have, haven't been enabled to use them. And or, can't, so, or can't find them, right? I know we find have them, them. Yes. Or there's like three different versions of it and they don't want to use it because it might be the wrong one. So making sure that the library of assets is clean, deduped, clearly identified, everybody knows where it is and how to access, like all of those things are are very early in our, our assessment of the user journey phase. After that, we'll ask the questions and, and most of the times it comes out in the earlier phases of what is marketing trying to achieve or what are the KPIs that the organization has to achieve and then make sure that those users journeys actually align to those KPIs because you don't want to generate demand for something that's never going to lead to sales. You don't want to just educate your audience always. You really need to generate ROI. So we want to make sure those things are in alignment. I have a follow-up question of you. You said earlier, which I can't argue with, uh, test, right? Especially if you're in an early stage of a product launch or a company launch, you don't know what you don't know, so you have to test it. Yep. Can you give us a simple explanation of how are you testing? Are you putting up a checklist and seeing how many people downloaded? Are you Give us some examples of how have you found to be the best ways to test are we in fact aligned with what we present to what it is that they're buying at their at their time of their choosing device of their choices? 
Yeah. So like many things, there's, there's many different ways to test. You can do AB tests. You can just do full content tests. The best way that I've found to hone in on buyer profiles and content that resonates is you choose one. Uh, let's just say it's a, it's a engineering function. You choose the level and the people that you're wanting to talk to, and then you create an asset that resonates with your internal team. So you present it to your internal engineers saying, would you find this helpful? If they say yes, then you put it out on the channels that you know that audience is. They might be on LinkedIn, they might be on Reddit, they might be on Twitter. So you post it into that channel and then see how it how it behaves and how it performs. And you don't wanna just choose one because then that's, too few data points. So you choose generally three, three to five is max channels to put it out on. And you run it for a week and you see what the data looks like. And if that's not enough time, then maybe you run it for another week because you got a little, it's few nibbles, but not enough data to actually make actionable insights. So you run it for another week and you just continually look at the data and make tweaks. And maybe one channel takes off. And so you're like, okay, well, we're going to double down on that or put out another piece of content on that one channel um, just to, to deepen the relationship because you've now found uh, your audience. And in fly fishing, we have a saying, you don't leave fish to find fish. And so once you find fish, i.e. resonating on a channel, uh, you double down there and you put, you engage further with that audience because then driving them back to the website makes the most sense. So that's, that's probably the best way that you can run some tests. And, and again, I, my, I don't know, you're, you're a lot closer to this than I am. My impression is not enough of that testing gets done. I think in an effort to get so much out, we keep throwing stuff out there without being intentional about understanding, as you said, looking at the data, what's working, what's not working, what's resonating and, and maybe it's the wrong metrics. And I, and I see that from time to time. We're asking for A, we measure it, and we compensate B. A lot or of times it really does come down to the, to the metrics, exactly, because marketing is held to generating net new names, but sales is trying to talk to a certain persona or a certain group of people that, that doesn't align. Like if you're just, if marketing's generating 10,000 names, well, they could be 10,000 HR professionals, but you need to be talking to security people Marketing's doing what they think is their job and sales is over here like, hello, do you have anything for us? So yeah, it's, it really, really, really does come down to metrics and making sure that both sales and marketing are in agreement on what those things are and who you should be talking to. Which comes back to full circle of the we conversation versus us Absolutely. and them, right? We got to get tighter on the ideal customer profiles and what is it that they need? What are they struggling with? What their challenges are and how to, again, I want to reiterate, how do we meet them where they are? How do we meet them? They're not ready to click on something. They don't want to talk to anybody. They just they want to read up. They want to confront, as you said, case studies. Do I see myself in that issue? Can I empathize with that leader that you helped uh, and you profiled? And does your product, in fact, meet the kind of the needs that I have in the time and within the you know other constraints I may have, budget, Right now, you know, human capital, I don't have enough people to deploy your technology. So although I may need it, I can't because I've got these other priorities that I'm focused on. And I don't think enough teams do that testing 
to really get actionable insights from the target audiences they're trying to trying to engage. Yeah, I would say not enough testing is done, but also testing without controlled variables. Like you can't test 12 different things all at the same time. You need to create a framework of this is what we're going to put out and here are our variables that we're measuring against and then decide, okay, that worked, that didn't work. Now we're going to test a different aspect of this. You can't, if you muddy the data, then you're also not going to get actionable insights. And if you look for too much data, same thing, you're not going to get the actionable insights that you hope for. So yeah, I would definitely say not enough testing uh, is being done. And it may also be that people are just trying to move so quickly that they think doing more things will generate a greater result. And you have, you've said it before where they mistake vibration for forward movement. And I see a lot of companies doing that as well. So, and it's, it's uh, really difficult to, as, as Jen mentioned, the next phase of the accelerated time to close being really to improve and optimize. If you don't do enough testing, if you don't figure out what works and what doesn't in the user journey, and whether that's aligned with buyer behaviors, buyer intent, buyer commitment, then what are you going to improve? What are you going to enhance? What are you going to elevate? So that customer maturity model, the life cycle maturity model that I showed earlier is predicated on alignment between the way you market to the way you sell, the way you sell to the way you market, and both of those to the way the client buys and that's where we can come in and look at the data, really optimize. And Jenna, I often also talk about it's not a switch, right? It's never, we don't ever go somewhere and turn it on or turn it off. It's always a dial, right? Yeah. What do we need to dial up? What do we need to dial back? And, and really, as you mentioned, we're, measure, we're trying to measure way too many. We're not measuring enough. We keep throwing stuff out there. And you know what? We're getting, you know, single digit response of these things. That's not really... The numbers we're after, that's not really the results we're after. What do we need to take? Have you also found that the customers are, their attention span is you know, shorter. They're pulled in a lot more directions. There's enormous amount of increased demand for their mind share and, of course, wallet share. So, And everybody's contributing to the noise. Like there's just so much noise in every client that we work with. Yeah, you really have to differentiate yourself with your marketing. And that can be really hard, but just constantly putting out the same type of case study or everybody doing webinars early in, in when everybody was working from home, everything was a webinar. And you, like, yes, people would sign up for them, but they wouldn't actually attend them live. And then really, are you tracking? Are you uh, the, the on-demand views? And if you, if you aren't tracking that, then really what was the purpose of putting on the webinar? So yeah, it's, it's really just make a difference. And I think if you contribute value to your customers, it doesn't really matter what you put out and it could be the same thing as your competitor, but if yours provides more value for them and better education and they can see themselves and it actually speaks to what their problem is instead of how great the company is, uh, it'll resonate better and it'll get way more traction. And so those are just things to consider. But Nor, what would you give as advice to your executive coaching clients around aligning their sales and marketing efforts 
to help with their user journey. You mean other than engage our team to kind of help them? Is, well, is yes. like, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's understood. That's but, kind of the easy button. Yeah, right. That's exactly the easy Somebody else called us that. Somebody else called us. You're like this, the, the easy button. Yeah. Um, yeah, it it really is. Uh, and and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking a couple of clients. One in particular uh, that you and I both know is masterful at this. He really sees his uh, is a CRO. Really sees his CMO partner as a as a colleague, as a peer, as an accountability partner, and are really trying to work through some of these challenges of of look, we've got a great product, right? That, by the way, that's table stakes, right? If, without that great product, rest of yeah. this is all Mood. flowery noise, right? So we've got a great product. Now, how do we go focus? You brought it up several times. I'm a huge fan of it. Just because we can doesn't mean we should go after everybody and their cousins twice removed. So how do we focus on the most ideal, and everybody talks about an ideal customer profile. I often think about an ideal relationship profile. If we're so early that we're not really proven, who's willing to talk to those missionaries and mercenaries early on that because we've identified a problem and we've got a unique approach to solving it. Mm -hmm. So that's one type of a relationship that believes you and believes in you as you execute. Then, you know, so if you really get focused on that ideal relationship profile, and Jen, you've heard me talk to people about this. Listening isn't me being quiet long enough to figure out what I'm going to say as soon as you stop talking. Listening is really intent, in, much more intentional with the focus of understanding. And I, and I often coach people to listen louder. Listen louder to those relationships of what's being said. Listen louder to what's not being said. Listen louder to what they're struggling with above and beyond your technology. You and I had this conversation. I was talking to the CIO, CISO of a $2 billion enterprise, and he said, it's not even the tech. I don't have enough people. I don't have the bandwidth to look at all the stuff we need to look at and all the stuff that these companies want us to evaluate. And yeah, there's no cost to me for that proof of concept, but there really is. Yep. It's the human capital cost. It's the bandwidth cost that we don't have. So you keep barraging me with all this great stuff. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to unsubscribe. Or at some point, I'm going to call your leadership team and say, turn off your pit bull salespeople because they're pestering the crap out of me. And it goes back to you don't get me. You don't get my environment. You don't get what I'm struggling with. And it's all about you which is a lot less attractive than if you invest the time and effort to get to know me and get to know our business and really align what I'm struggling with, what my challenges, what my opportunities are with yeah. what you bring. And that's, that's really the sales and marketing. It's everybody's job, but particularly sales and marketing to co-create, to really collaborate and, and lead with relationships with that customer, with the influencers of that company account and make sure, as you said, our assets align with kind of what they need. So this, uh, for our audience, this episode has been really focused on the user journey, really understanding kind of what they need and aligning the way we sell to, to, to their needs. In the next episode, Jen, we're going to talk a lot about that, that phase four of improving and optimizing. Give our audience a glimpse into what 
that could that could the insights they could get from the next episode. Yeah, so it's really looking at like how are you reporting your data? Do you have unified dashboards? Um, do you have a feedback loop in place? And what is what what do those insights tell you? And so diving into all of those things and, and kind of giving best practices around those is what we're going to be looking at next week. Good. And the audience should be delighted to hear. I won't be here to to take all the <laughs> the air noise. Jen will lead that conversation on improving and optimizing. Uh, we hope you'll join us again every Tuesday at 11 o'clock Eastern. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. We'll also post this as the Rev Up, R-E-V-Up, U-P podcast. We're episode 11, and we've got some great ones coming up, including featuring several clients that are serial entrepreneurs and visionary CMOs and industry luminaries that are going to share their insights. A couple of other quick uh, heads up. We're also launching with our other business partner, Michelle Konetsky, the product growth live stream and podcast. Those are always at three o'clock Eastern on Tuesdays. Right after this one, I run Curve Benders Live, uh, all about the latest book, all about your personal professional growth. You can learn about these and others at norgroup.com slash podcast. Norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com slash podcast has a list of all these. We also hope you'll join us in our forum, which is our online private community, norgroup.com slash forum. Come join us. Come be a part of the conversation. Jen runs a RevOps group. There's a lot of good nuggets and insights and articles in there. Come join us and be part of the conversation. On behalf of my partner, Jen Cords, I'm David Knorr. We're the Knorr Group. I uh, hope you enjoyed this session. Hope this has been useful to you. We'll look forward to catching up next time. Thanks, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye.